When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we are doing more than just reading and studying an ancient text. We believe that God actually speaks to us through these words. Let's take a moment of silence to clear our minds and quiet our hearts so we can listen to God's word from Luke 7, 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took a place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the oil on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I answered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, so she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other table guests began to say among themselves, who is this person that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I was asked to coach land sharks. Land Sharks is a elementary school running club uh, for kids. And because of what a great runner I am, they asked me to coach kindergarten. So I said yes, and I started making up games, and the kids were chasing me around, and it was a great time. And it came time for our very first race, and we showed up at the track, and I realized that we had a lot of fun running, but I had never taught them how to actually run around a track in a lane. And so I gathered all the kindergartners around me, and I started drawing on my hands. Okay, you're going to be in lane one, and you're going to be in lane five, and you're going to be in lane six, and stay in your lane. But then maybe it's because I'm a pastor, or maybe it's because I've watched a lot of college football, but all of a sudden, like, my locker room, like, pep talk got into me. And I, and I was like looking at them and I'm like, and this is going to be the best race of your life. And they're probably like, this is the only race. I'm five, you know, and, and, and I'm like just telling them it's about character. You just push through. You got to have grit. It doesn't matter the time at the end. And all of a sudden I look up and one kid is like waving to his dad. Another kid's like itching her arm. Another kid's like tying his shoe. And I thought, wait a minute, they're not listening to me. And I wonder if maybe that's how we are with God. Where in some ways, we're like plugging our ears to the ultimate coach. And he has something 
to say to us, not something for us to do. He's done something for us, and he wants us to receive it. But there might be some of us in this room where our circumstances, our pain, the things that we've gone through, that we're like, I actually don't want to receive that. I don't really want to know you. Because you know what? When I asked you to fix that relationship, it didn't happen. Or that diagnosis didn't come through. Or that work issue never got resolved. And our circumstances sometimes get in the way of us hearing and receiving and believing and knowing the God of the cosmos. And we don't want to know him because we have these misconceptions of him. Anybody have a misconception of God? I've had a lot of them throughout my life. And if you read the chapter in the book, you've heard some of these before. But maybe you've kind of thought of God as a distant deity. He exists, but he doesn't really make a difference in my life. Oh, he might make a difference in somebody else's life near me, but just not mine. Or maybe you've thought of God as a demanding judge, where he really wants you to like get on his good side. You kind of picture him of being ticked off or annoyed or disappointed in you. I lived a lot of years believing that's who God was. Or maybe you think of him as a micromanager, where he's like the control freak, the the helicopter parent who's like, just do what I want you to do and just be a robot. Or a grandfather who's kind of like Santa Claus, where you can climb up on his lap and give him the long list of things that you really hope for, and hopefully he'll give you like one of your top five. I recently was thinking, like, what is my misconception right now in my season? What's the lie that I'm believing about God? And I realized, not then, but after reflecting upon it, just last week I had a dear friend in ICU battling for her life on life support, and we were praying that things would change. And I realized that I was thinking of God as my negotiator, That in my prayers, I was like, God, come on, I'm a pastor. Doesn't that count for something? There's like hundreds of people who are praying for her. And I was looking at him as though he was a negotiator. What kind of picture do you have in your head, in your heart, about who God is? When, When we do something wrong, or maybe I say in your badness, how do you think about God? What kind of wrong image do we have? The truth is, is that God is like Jesus. You're like, that's not how I think about it. I've always heard that Jesus is God. He is God. But what if we started thinking, you know what, the way I can know God is the picture that I get of Jesus in the Gospels. The story that we heard read There are very few stories outside of the death and resurrection of Jesus that are in all four Gospels. But this story is in all four Gospels. And it is this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. He's invited to this pastor's house after he preached at a church. That's like my way of saying he went to a Pharisee's house after he preached in the synagogue. 
And they're eating around a table. Now, during Jesus' time, they didn't have tables like we do with chairs. They had low tables, and they sat on the floor with, you know, cushions, and, and they just kind of reclined around the table. And this woman comes in, and Scripture tells us that she's a sinner, maybe a prostitute. And she's got a bottle of perfume around her neck. Some might say that it was a prostitute trade. It was very costly. It was made of alabaster. Alabaster was quarried in Egypt. And basically, it would be like a, like a circle kind of container, small, with a very long, skinny neck and a cork on it. If somebody wanted to use it, they would actually have to break the neck of that for the contents to come out. And she comes into this gathering, I think with the idea to anoint Jesus' head with the perfume. And she's waiting. And Jesus is there with all of these people, and she can't get to his head. And so she's standing by his feet. Maybe it's crowded. I don't know about you guys, but feet are kind of gross to me. Um, and during Jesus' time, I mean, they didn't have, you know, foot powder or socks for that matter. And so it was a big deal when you would go to somebody's house that they would wash their feet, especially if you're eating around food and the table is this low. And she's standing there and starts weeping, crying, heart water. She didn't have any real water but she had stuff inside of her. Anybody ever have that? Maybe you are thinking about something that you've done or something you haven't done, and it brings you to tears, brings you to grief, and that's what she is doing. And as she cries, her tears literally say it rained down on his feet. She didn't have a towel and so she took her own hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. Women used to wear their hair up. It was actually a sign of looseness or shame to bring your hair down. And she doesn't care. And then she starts kissing his feet. It's the same word that we see in the story of Luke 15 of the prodigal son. If you're familiar with that story, this son has gone off and he's done whatever he's wanted and the father has longed for him to come back. And the father sees him off in the distance, runs towards his son and hugs him and kisses him, the same word. It kind of gives you this picture of continually kissing, continually hugging, clinging to. And this woman is doing that to Jesus' feet, kissing and hugging and clinging and then comes the ultimate act of generosity. She snaps that alabaster jar and pours it not on his head, on his feet. She can't wait anymore. And the Pharisee, this whole thing happened, thinks to himself, well, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know. And I love it that Jesus answers the man's thoughts. And he says, hey, I have something to say to you. And I bet the guy thought, yeah, I bet you do have something to say. You're going to say thank you for this nice meal. You're going to say thank you for letting me come to your synagogue and preach. You're going to say thank you for, I don't know, or you had really good insight when we argued about this theological matter. 
Jesus is like, I got a story to tell you, actually. And the story is, there's two people who owe a large amount of money. One is like a year and a half's wages. One is like two months. And if, if they get their debt paid, if someone says, I'm going to take that on, you don't have to pay it, the debt still has to be paid, not by those two people, but by the person taking on the debt. And he says, who loves that guy more? And the Pharisees says, well, the one with the bigger debt. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And then it all makes sense. Jesus says, hey, I came into your home. You didn't wash my feet. She's crying tears on my feet. You didn't put any oil on my head, but she anointed my feet. You didn't kiss me, but she hasn't stopped. He says, her sins are a lot. But she's forgiven. I don't know about you, but a lot of my life I've kind of thought, oh, maybe God just gives me a little bit of grace or a little bit of truth. Like when I'm like confessing, then he's giving me a lot of grace and saying, yes, you're forgiven. And when I'm like kind of messing up and kind of blowing it, he kind of gets in my face and like, hey, get it together. That's how I used to think about God. And I actually thought if I could stay on the teeter-totter of grace and truth and kind of make it even, I can get a little bit of both. But the reality is Jesus calibrates grace and truth together at the same time. He says to the woman, she has a lot of sins, a lot of truth, and says your sins are forgiven, full of grace. Do you see how they're together? It's not just a little bit of each. It's calibrating both. And he does that for us too. In Ephesians, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not something you do on your own. It's a gift. Maybe because it's not Easter. I'm just going to remind you a little bit about what happened. Because after this time of having dinner, Jesus eventually gets arrested and flogged and nailed to a pole. And while he's on the pole, he looks down and he sees people who are excited and cheering and happy that he's dying. And he says to them, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Full of grace and truth. He's being crucified in between two thieves. And they get in an argument, which is like a bad place to get in an argument on a cross. And one of them is like, hey, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you get us down from here? And the other guy is like, hey, you better shut your mouth because he is the Messiah. Remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. He sees his mom realizing no one's going to take care of her. And his friend John, and he's like, John, take care of my mom. Mom, take care of John. You're now family. And then it gets dark. And nothing is said for several hours until Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he took on the debt. Somebody had to pay during that time, it's as if God was saying, hey, you can look at me. Jesus is saying, God, you can look at me. Everything that Christie's done wrong. Because somebody has to pay it. 
My sins are great, but there is forgiveness. He looked as if everything Chuck has done wrong, as if everything Angie's done wrong. He doesn't dismiss sin and say it's no big deal. But he also says you are forgiven. He names it for what it is and grants forgiveness. That is who Jesus is. That is what God is like. Jesus was not some distant deity. He came here in the flesh. He was born and lived here. He is present with us. He's not some demanding judge. Jesus doesn't act like that. He ate with sinners. He forgave us all. He's not a micromanager who just wants robots. God doesn't want mindless robots to control. He wants mindful disciples that he can empower. He's not some Santa Claus grandfather. He actually wants us to name our desires and to meet us there, to teach us about him. And he's not a negotiator. He wants us to process with him. He asks questions. He guides us. He empowers us. And so my question is, what is your misconception of God? Can we just name that and release that? And confess that and say, that's a lie. That is not who you are. Because that's not what I see Jesus being. And then what can we pick up and say, this is the truth. God is blank. Fill in the blank. What is the truth that we need to marinate in? So I'm going to ask you guys to do something right now. Just close your eyes for a second. And just be honest about what is the misconception of who Jesus is that we can release, that we can confess, that we can say that's a lie. We just spend 30 seconds releasing that silently to him. God, I thank you that you you know us. We've been hurt. There's been junk in our life that have put these silly lies about who you are. And we believed them for a long time and we just confess those now. I pray that what somebody has done to us or said to us would not shape how we think about you, God. Because you're bigger and you're good. Because you're full of grace and truth. I want you now to think, what is the truth I need to marinate in on who God is? The reality of who he really is, not the lie I believe. And we have some interactive boards that says God is on both sides. And I'm just going to encourage you that as a music plays, that when you have a word that comes to your mind, this is the truth about who he is. Will you go up and use the Scrabble letters and create the word naming it, claiming it, saying like yes God today I see this is true of you and would you help me to live this out, would you help me to believe this more deeply 
tomorrow.